Welcome to the I Love Alt Mortgages podcast, brought to you by Home Trust. And now, your host, Brennan Trenuth. Hey, Broker Nation, Brennan Trenuth here. On this episode of I Love Alt Mortgages, I am joined by Francis Hinojosa, founding partner and mortgage broker at Tribe Financial. Francis shares with us her deep knowledge of the alternative space and how important it is to tell lenders about the spinach in the teeth of any deal. We dive into what it takes to be a good leader in the industry, and she explains her core values she lives by every day. It's no surprise why Francis was just recently elected as Regional Director in Ontario for MPC's National Board. Her knowledge is valuable to our community, and her passion for the industry is unmatched. Hey everyone, Brendan here from Home Trust. This is I Love All Mortgages. Today we are joined by Francis Hinojosa of Tribe Financial. Francis, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me on this. You know what? I am so excited to be on the show because I think this is a topic that's so needed in our industry. And I have to say, I do love Alt Mortgages. They are a fantastic (laughs) product. So this is going to be a great conversation. Well, we're going to talk a lot about that in a few moments. But first, I want to ask you a couple rapid fire questions just to kind of get things going. Don't worry, they're very easy. So first one being, are you an early bird or a night owl? Ooh, good question. I am now an early bird. Funny enough, when I was younger, I used to be a night owl. And I shifted that, I'm going to probably say over the last five years. So I typically get up in the morning about 5, 5.30. And I do that to get my day going. I find that, you know, it's more important for me to get the rest at night. So more of an early bird than the night owl. So you've read Robin Sharma's 5 a.m. Club oh, book. Oh, I love <laughs> Robin Sharma. Yeah, it was a great book, yes. actually, too. I love him as well. Second question, what is your go-to karaoke song? Ooh, go-to karaoke song. You know what? I don't do karaoke. I've always shied away from it, so this is going to be a very hard question. If you just had to pick one song that you know all the lyrics to and that oh, you could kind of, you know, man, you know what? I think it. this is the way I'm going to answer this. My go-to karaoke song is pulling my husband on the stage with me to do karaoke because he's the music man in the okay. household. Like, fun fact, what was that show? Name that tune or whatever. Like, he can hear like a couple of bars of a song okay, yeah. and just recite it. Yep. So I would say my favorite karaoke song is whatever my husband's pulled <laughs> me up to sing. Okay. I think the last one we did was Islands in the Stream. Okay, yeah, very good, very good. Question number three, if you could live in any country, where would you live? Honestly, I think I would still stay in Canada, funny enough. But, however, I just spent the summer, we did 10 days in Newfoundland. Okay, Fell in love with the East Coast. So if I was to pick up and had any choice to move, no questions asked, could still do what I wanted to do, I'd probably find some secluded piece of land on a cliff looking over the ocean on the East Coast. Not not too close to the cliff, though. Not not too close (laughs) to the cliff. No, no, not too close to the cliff, but completely isolated. I love nature. So that would be ideal for me very nice very nice and the last question number four what is the last tv show that you binge watched oh squid games oh love it oh squid games my daughter actually convinced me to watch it i was hesitant at first this is my 14 year old she's like mom you gotta watch it you gotta watch it me and my husband binge watched it over one weekend cannot wait for season two i love now did you listen to it dubbed or did you watch it with the subtitles i watched it dubbed okay Yes. I watched it with the subtitles, Did and I you? heard that it was better with subtitles than the version dubbed because some of it was lost in translation. Do you think so? Maybe. Well, hard to see. You know I, I would have to go back and, I'm gonna, and watch I'm it. I'm going to go back and watch it. You yeah. know what? It's not that long of a season. My nope. Ten episodes, I think, was or nine, nine or something nine, like that. I think, yeah. I'm going to watch it with just the subtitles, and I'll see what you mean. I guess you're right because you get the verbal mm-hmm. tonage coming through. Yeah. 
But yeah, anyone out there that haven't watched it, I highly, highly recommend. You agree with me, Squid Games. Absolutely. Such great, a great, great show. Great show. Okay, so now let's get into you know the parts that the viewers really want to not, uh, not about what I watch and what I eat for breakfast. They, okay. they really came here to listen to you about alt mortgages. So first and foremost, maybe just if you could give us a little bit of background on yourself, on you know your journey to get to this point. So for those of you that don't know me, I am the principal broker and one of the managing partners or one of the owners at Tribe Financial. We're a boutique firm in the GTA. Myself and my two business partners, Glenn and Peter, established this firm. Now we're going on, ooh, about five years ago. We came into this industry about eight years ago. Okay. Prior to that, it's no secret, I worked at Bank of Montreal for, oh my goodness, 25 years over wow. two decades, wow. going way, way back in my history, how I started in finance is probably not the traditional route. I had a part-time job at the bank in university. I was three years into doing a psychology degree, decided that I didn't want to be a psychologist. The bank at the time actually offered me a full-time job. I accepted the position with the intent of going back to university, which right. fast forward now, you know, over getting close on three decades, never went back mm -hmm. and just progressed my career through the bank. I was one of the youngest lending managers at the bank at age 21. So as soon as I got the full-time job, I went into their lending training stream okay. and I got a position as a lending manager in the bank and then worked my way up various positions, right. did everything from investment lending to corporate lending yep. to a mortgage specialist was my last role right but always been in the world of lending funny enough well, that's, that's been my specialty so then yeah a lot of experience in the lending yeah. world and it's funny that you say psychologist is that you were going to school for that but I almost feel like at some times throughout your career, you probably had to act almost as a psychologist with your clients, Absolutely. no? Absolutely. And you know what? I think we all do when it comes to lending. Money itself is just a highly emotional mm -hmm. transaction. Anything tied into money, there's high emotions, high stakes that is with it. So having the psychological background actually has been an asset. I've always argued it's better than if I went and got a business degree. Right. Because you can really understand the emotions of individuals. And emotional intelligence, I think, for anyone doing brokering, you know, dive deep into that topic. Mm -hmm. It will, you know, tremendously help you in your business every single day if you can truly understand human beings and the way they work. Right, exactly. Five years ago, you started Tribe Financial. Maybe just give us a little bit more about what was your vision for Tribe when you were, you know, putting this all together? You know, vision for Tribe, I think, you know, myself and even my business partners, we really are ingrained in lending and we love the mortgage business. It was creating a firm that provided clientele with wealth and advice or wealth goals. And when I say that, you know, traditionally wealth goals have always been tied into investments. And what I found and in the passion behind the company was the fact that in mortgage lending or in debt, I found that there was a void in the industry. Mm -hmm. I found that people kind of treated it as a transaction to only look at once, set it and forget it. We're a firm believer that, you know, you should be looking at your debt position every single year as it changes with your lifestyle. You definitely should be looking at your mortgage ongoing to make sure it fits, you know, your financial needs. So that really is the idea and the premise behind Tribe is having that type of company where we're building really long-term relationships with our clients, but also long-term relationships in the sense that we understand them not only today, mm -hmm. but understand them as they move through the different stages in their life, right? Yep. Like starting out in your first home, maybe being single is going to be vastly different if you fast forward and let's say that you get married or you have a few kids or you're getting close to retirement. So we really wanted that environment where clients felt safe to sort of give us the whole gamut of their financial profile and to make sure that their debt fits those needs as well. 
Right. And before we kind of started going here, you mentioned that you really love alternative mortgages. So, I mean, it's great to see your passion. But just on a business level, what percentage of your business at Tribe is alternative? I'm going to say right now we're probably taking on close to about 40% of our business is alternative. 60% is traditional A sort of triple A type of clientele. But here's the misconception out there. 40% are alternative, but they're actually really good clientele. If I look at our portfolio, these aren't, you know, alternate in the sense that these are, you know, bruised credit or bad clients who can't, you know, make ends meet. And I think that's the perception out there with a lot of brokers that that's the type of client to go into these types of products. A lot of our clients are professionals. I like to say they're very tax efficient. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very polite way to say the clients. And I'll say it all the time when, you know, there's certain things that you know, when you get into alternate mortgages of what to ask. If I have a client coming in the door and I know that they're self-employed and an entrepreneur, the first question I'll ask them is, are you tax efficient? And they'll understand that language, Right. right? Yep. The alternate client that we have coming in our door are not your typical of what most brokers think. You right. know, they're not clients that are down on the lock or can't afford their payments or you'd like to say those bruised types of clients. A lot of the times they're highly professional types of clients that are just tax efficient with their right. portfolios. And they just don't meet that guideline at the A banks. They're just slightly out of it. Like an A minus client, you're saying right. basically, right? Like an A minus yeah. client, but it's understanding as a broker, what is an A minus client? I right. know we're going to dive you know, deeper into that, of what that means. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of brokers have a misconception of what an A minus client truly means to them or right. to the institution that they're working And in the industry as a whole, I mean, we're seeing a significant growth in clients that are falling into that alternative space, whether it is bruise credit, whether it is, you know, ratios, whether it is just not meeting a bank guideline for whatever reason, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're a bad client, they're just not meeting those guidelines. But how has targeting this clientele helped your business grow? Targeting this client has helped our business grow, but shifting back the eight years of why we made the decision to come over. The pivotal point in that eight-year mark wasn't us leaving because we wanted to, you know, per se, make more money or to grow our business. It really was to be able to give our clients choice and selection of products out there in order for them to be homeowners or to achieve their business dreams or, you know, all the multitudes of reasons why clients come to us to borrow money. Right. And that pivotal point eight years ago was around the time when the government started talking about changing the rules. So if you look at the rules, that's when B20 came into effect and B20 rolled out just shortly after that. You know, for us, we realized that that time that mortgage lending was starting to change, that the banks weren't going to be able to have the type of products that we needed to service these clients. Mm -hmm. And the way I recognize that myself is when I started lending, you know, 25 years ago at Bank of Montreal and knowing the policies of other major banks as well, they really were almost kind of like an alternate lender when it came to self-employed people. They had a bit more bandwidth on their decision-making process. So For me to understand alt mortgages coming in as a broker was very easy with my background because that's how I learned lending when I first Mm -hmm. started at age 20, 21. It was, you had a self-employed client, you did more of a common sense approach on the deal and you did what's called a cash flow analysis. Mm -hmm. So you looked at real hard numbers, what you guys do, right? What's coming in the account? What is their out expense? What do they have left over? Is that reasonable for them to be living their everyday life every single day? Right. You know, fast forward, the bank started to change that. We knew we needed those suites of products to serve those clients 
just by understanding what the population was doing. I'm sure you guys have seen this at Home Trust. A lot more people are becoming consultants. A lot more people are becoming self-employed. Yes. You know, fast forward now in COVID and what's happening with people. You know, you hear about it's now the era of resignations and people are really sitting back and looking at their careers of, you know, what do I want to do now? Do I really love my nine to five job? Do I have the skill set to maybe go on on my own? Yep. We're also seeing a lot of companies out there are leaning towards the consulting side of things because they also want the flexibility when it comes to their payroll or employment. Do we really need these people long-term? Maybe, maybe not. So we're going to start to hire these people on 12 or 24-month contracts, which again, as you know, constitutes them being self-employed, which a lot of the times will fit them in the alternate world. So they're not bad clients. They're excellent clients. Their employment structure and their income structure just doesn't meet the traditional standards mm-hmm. that OFSI has imposed on major banks and their guidelines and yeah. the risk. Yeah. And I mean, interesting thing that you said, obviously, you know, if you're working just strictly with maybe a bank, you know, they're strict on, you know, what they can accept, what they can't accept. And then if you can't fit them into that bucket, client's gone. And what you wanted to do was transition to a spot where you can still help that client through every single process that they're in, whether it's a private, whether it's a B, whether it's going back into A. And I mean, the good thing about, you know, home trust is we have our B and we have our A as well. So there's always that possibility of graduation. And so as a broker or as an agent, and you're looking at, you know, what kind of business that you want to get into, I think for the longevity of that client relationship that you have and the long-term client, you know, you want to be able to give them those options and not just stick to kind of one piece. I couldn't agree more. Like, I firmly believe in my soul the future of mortgage brokering is maintaining long-term relationships with your clients. I know everyone's talked about that, but really, truly not being transactional. Mm -hmm. Like, being a transactional broker can be replaced by technology. Sure. Right? Like, anything that's transactional, easy, we've seen it in every single industry, can be replaced. The differentiating factor, in my opinion, is building those long-term relationships, truly understanding the client that's in front of you, understanding their goals and their dreams, making sure that that debt position is married into it. But in order to do that, you need to be able to understand all the different scopes of lending from A to B to private, Mm -hmm. and also be able to build those long-term relationships to maneuver, like you said, those clients through. Like we've seen that in our firm time and time again. I just had one this morning that I just talked with my associate where we know that in this circumstance, we're going to have to do the client private first. It's an ugly situation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Clean that up. But yep. we know that we're going to transition them to a B. Yep. And then hopefully as we coach them through their tax strategies, then we have the long-term vision. We're saying, okay, now we're going to work with you and your accountant. This is what you need to do to get you to the position that now we can move you into the A space. Or we could stay alternative. It's not that bad. No, exactly. Right? Especially with the rates right now. Especially <laughs> with the rates and especially when you start to dive deep into the conversation. Like one of my favorite lines I say to clients all the time when it comes to taxes is let's compare what you would have to pay yep. in order to qualify. You know this trick, yeah, right? Oh yeah. it's oh, use it all the time. And I don't like say trick. Like it's not a trick. It's a conversation, right? Yeah. Being able to have that full conversation with the client saying, okay, let's take a step back. If you had to qualify at a bank, you have to claim X amount of money, which means X amount of taxes. 
versus this is the rate you're getting and these are the fees involved, which one are you saving more money on? And I don't even tell exactly. the client an answer. I'll ask them that. Now I've presented it. What do you think and which will save you the most amount of money? Yep. I wouldn't call it a trick. It's just you're giving them two options. And, you know, if you want to get a, an extremely low rate, then you have to pay more taxes. Not all of them are going to be willing to do that, right? Because they really like how their business is structured, how they're able to write off a lot more pieces to that. Question that I wanted to ask is obviously there's a lot of nuances within the alternative space. So how do you go about training your agents how to deal in the alternative space? Baby steps first. I don't think you can slam it on any agent for them to really wrap their head around it. I think as a principal broker training your agents, you have to understand of what scale of knowledge that agent is on based on their experience to explain it. Sure. I think it's very important to sort of, again, we use this term in our firm a lot and it's part of our tagline is speak the language. And when I say that, I'm not talking about language as a specific language. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about understanding of how you understand to learn versus you understand to learn. Every individual is going to be different. We start off by getting them to understand cash flow analysis. That's number one. We get them to understand that when you have a self-employed client, like here's easy tips to start off. I know if I'm having a conversation with you and you're a self-employed client, the first thing, again, going back to the beginning, I'm going to ask, are you tax efficient? Mm-hmm. Clients know the answer to this. Right. Okay, They typically know their position. And if they say, well, I don't know, I'm not sure, then the next thing is, okay, put me in touch with your accountant and I'll talk directly with your accountant sure. and we'll figure it out that way. But getting them to understand the cash flow analysis, getting them to sort of simplify of how an alternate mortgage is looked at when it comes to income. I mean, the credit stuff, and that's pretty simple, right. pretty self-explanatory. Yep. But understanding cash flow analysis, how much money is the client legitimately pulling in? Can we verify that money coming in? What are the expenses, hard expenses going out? What are they left over with at the end of the day? And it's understanding as well with alternate mortgages that you don't have to necessarily be at a 44 ratio. You can extend it out. Sure. Yep. Again, as long as you can be reasonable on that income to explain the cash flow. So, for example, if I have a client that their monthly annual cash flow that I can confirm is a million dollars, well, I will probably be okay to extend those ratios a little bit higher because when you do an actual hardline cash flow analysis, they're probably left with maybe like 10, 20, 30,000 a month. And I think anyone can agree with most lifestyles, they're a okay to cover those payments. Sure. What's the fallback? Yep. Like, what's the fallback besides the income? Do they have cash savings? Do they have liquidity? Are they high debt utilization? Why are they using debt so high? Is there a story behind it? What I truly love about alt lending, and I tell this to my agents, is it's really a space where you can be creative. And I know creative is probably a little, some people don't (laughs) like that word in our business. I'm saying creative in a positive way. Creative in the sense that you can become a storybook lender. That's what I mean by creativity, right? You can Mm -hmm. actually write the story about the client and explain it from their eyes to show the lender and saying, hey, you know what? On paper, the ratios don't fit. On paper, the credit looks a little bit wonky. But let me explain the story as to the reason why. And that's really why I love alternate mortgages, because it gives you that ability to be a storybook lender, to be creative, to paint the picture. Like I'm going to the artistic side of things, right? To really sort of say to the lender, hey, this is what you see, but this is really 
the truth behind the story. And I think a lot of the times, a lot of that is missing on an application. You don't get the full story. You don't know what's happening with their business. You don't understand what's going on with their credit. You don't understand if there is a fallback position. And those are you know some of the main pieces that we need in order to underwrite that file and assess it from a risk perspective too, right? Every like application, we always say, make sure that you're including you know liquid assets that the client has. What's that fallback position? Because yeah, your ratios might be a little bit high. It doesn't mean that we can't do the deal. We're just looking for a little bit more information about that client in order to be able to extend credit to that client, right? You know what I mean? So it's a story that's behind it. I think as brokers, we have to stop being afraid to talk about the blemish on the deal. Just call it out. Call it the spinach (laughs) in the teeth. They're going to see the spinach. Call it out. Yeah, exactly. Just call it out. Explain it. Mitigate it, right? Tell the story behind it. Paint the picture. You know, with anything that is glaring on a deal, and I'm sure you've seen this as well, behind any negative, there's always a positive. In this world, there's a counterbalance always between a positive and a negative. It's that balance, right? The battery needs the both the positive and the negative. Mm-hmm. If there's a negative on the deal, there is a positive there. So address the negative, but find the positive. Yeah, you got to mitigate the negatives on the file, essentially. Right. Yeah, completely agree. And a lot of times that is missed on an application. So to anybody listening, please make sure that you know your client, your telling us the story, you're telling us, you know, the fallback position, because that can actually make or break a file for you. Oh, absolutely. Like, again, call it the spinach in the teeth. So building on that, how do you mitigate customer expectations when they're an alternative client? You know, obviously the client will come to you in their mind, they're an A client, Mm -hmm. but after you review everything, you know that, you know, they're a B client. So how do you manage that expectation? I don't determine if they're an A or B client until I see absolutely everything up front. And that's regardless if I feel a client's an A client, you think it's an A client, everything looks like an A client, and then you open up the hood of the car and you're like, oh, it's missing the carburetor, right? (laughs) I think as a broker, never make assumptions on an individual until you absolutely see everything. I've had clients call me up and long-term clients saying, Fran, what do you think? And I'm like, I got a mortgage here, but I don't know what it's going to be. And your rate will be anywhere from 189 to 10.99%. They're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, I need all the pieces of the puzzle. You know, the analogy I use with my clients is I say to them, listen, in order for me to give you the right solution that's going to meet your needs, not only long-term and short-term, I need to do a complete analysis. Much the same as if you are ill and you go into the doctor and you say, hey, doctor, my stomach hurts, prescribe me something. And he says, well, well, hold on, I need to do x-rays, blood work, and the rest of it. That's me doing an analysis on a deal. And if I don't do that analysis, that's like you pushing the doctor saying, well, no, no, my stomach hurts. You should know what I need. Just write me a prescription. No, I can't do that until Mm -hmm. I see everything. And the other reason I explain to clients of why I can't do that is I'm looking out for your best interests. You know, I also want to make sure I'm not missing anything, right? right? I want to make sure that I have all the pieces of the puzzle because there's so many different policies and options out there that, again, taking what you want for this transaction and what's going to best suit you, I need to get all the pieces in. So I don't ever promise to a client that it's going to go that route until I see everything. Now, once I do do the analysis, if I do feel it's going to be the alternate route that the client's going to have to go, I'm very upfront and honest from it from day one. I think the biggest mistake that I see brokers do over and over again is that they overpromise and underdeliver. They think by holding on to a client, by telling them, I know I'm going to get this done at the bank, I know I'm going to get this done at the bank, but not even discussing 
the what if or plan B option will create a situation for failure and will create a situation where you will most likely lose that client to another individual or another broker. Yeah, like, absolutely. I, I've gotten some deals in that way. I've had clients call me up, referred in, mm -hmm. because other brokers have been dragging them along for over a month and a half. They don't have an answer. And, you know, having a quick conversation with the client, it's almost I know without looking at the paperwork, this is not going to likely fit into an A space. This is an alternative. But brokers are so afraid to lose that deal yeah. that, again, they'll overpromise and underdeliver yeah. and not create the right expectations. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Obviously, within this alt space, it's really important to have good relationships with alternative lenders. What makes a really good relationship between you and an alternative lender? Communication. Communication, being upfront, calling the spinach out in the teeth, having a clean, concise package when you submit it in. All documentation up front, I think, is key. I honestly wish every lender in our industry would move to underwriting with all docs up front. Okay. I think we would have better efficiencies. I think we would also have better turnaround times when it comes to clients' commitments. And I think that we would have less fraud if we did that too. Right. Oh, that's a very good point and very good recommendation as well. Over the last two years, obviously, a lot of changes within the industry. You know, everybody's, you know, kind of moved towards a work from home situation. So how has your role as a leader kind of changed within your brokerage from a you know, work from home setting? Honestly, it hasn't. I've always had a hybrid work situation. Like okay. funny, funny enough, at the beginning of the pandemic, I'll never forget me and my husband were sitting on our front porch, you know, and he, he just stopped and he's like, huh. And I'm like, what? And he's like, you've always worked in quarantine. I just realized that <laughs> you've always worked from home. There's no, there's no change for you. And I'm like, yeah, other than, you know, a few outside meetings, I have set myself up in a hybrid work situation, probably going back 15 years at least. Okay. One of the main reasons, honestly, is because of kids. Sure. And I had my kids to be able to be flexible that way. I was lucky enough when I worked at the bank that they didn't care that I worked from home. Mm -hmm. I wasn't tied into one specific branch, so I've always had a home office. Sure. We still maintain our regular office, so Tribe still has their office in Burlington. We haven't given it up. I know okay. a lot of firms have, but I still like having that home base there sure. because I like giving our agents the choice of having the virtual environment, but also I do believe we are human beings and need that interaction. We need that energy. Yeah. You can't get that energy through a Zoom call. No. It's not the same. Point proven, we just did our team event in Niagara-on-the-Lake. I uh, heard about that. It was <laughs> awesome. And, you know, I specifically made sure I did not want it to make a meeting out of it. So yeah. there was no, like... No info sessions, no team meeting. It literally was 48 to 24 hours, whatever they choose, of just pure social interaction and networking amongst the agents. And I felt they came out of it completely invigorated. I mean, we've new. been missing that for a very long time as well. So nice that you were still able to have that and kind of get everybody together without, you know, really thinking about work and just having a really nice time, right? Yeah. And now moving forward, we give a lot of selection to our agents. Like we're going to be doing some upcoming training, but again, we're going to look at doing it hybrid. Sure. Some in person, some virtually. I don't want to get rid of the virtual stuff. I think that's one of the good things that have come out of COVID, mm -hmm. right? You can do the pros and cons. I love that we've advanced so much in technology. I love that we can do a lot of things virtually now. 
you know, especially when it comes to webinars and symposiums, I think we're able to get a greater reach out there. This, doing podcasts like this, like I love that you guys have taken the leap in doing this show. Yeah, thank you. Because stuff like this information gets out there. I love that there's brokers now that are in smaller communities. You know, I've been fortunate. I've been privileged. I live in the GTA. I can jump on the GO train, drive downtown. I can go to any meeting. Right. I can't imagine the hurdles if you're a broker living in Sudbury, mm-hmm. right, trying to get the same sort of training, let's say, five years ago than you can get today. Right. So a lot of great things have come out of it as well. Yeah, Virtual no, stuff's perfect, beautiful. Uh, thank you. So on a really positive note, you are recently elected on the NBC National Board as an Ontario Regional Director, so congratulations thank for you. that. Can you talk a bit about what your responsibilities will be in this new role? Well, it's representing all you guys that are listening in on Ontario. So all the members of MPC, being an advocate for the mortgage industry, I think you can hear from the beginning of the show, I have a long history in the mortgage industry. You know, with my experience coming from the bank as well, I can see the lending world from sort of a different perspective than maybe some other brokers can. Mm -hmm. But really, it is representing the mortgage broker industry. I love this industry so much. Like, I really wish, like, my dream is that we get regulated to the point that you can't get a mortgage in Canada unless you deal with a mortgage broker. That's what I would love to see happen. I think Canadians deserve that. I think we should take it as seriously as we do as getting a mutual fund or an investment portfolio. I think there's something to be said that advice should be given when it comes to debt. Debt shouldn't be given out just freely with no advice behind it. Mm -hmm. I think about, you know, my daughter the other day was like, mom, are you going to teach me about mortgages and loans? So when I get a credit card in that, what am I supposed to do? And, you know, it made me stop and think about my schooling. And even when I went to high school back in the 90s, we didn't learn anything about credit cards or mortgages. I mean, it's almost embarrassing to say I was 20-some years old giving out mortgages. I didn't even know what a mortgage is right. other than what I read in the textbook because I didn't have a mortgage. Mm-hmm. I had to learn about credit cards. I had to learn about bank accounts, and I was lucky enough that I worked at a place, obviously, that taught me that. I can't imagine if I didn't work there, how am I going to learn this? What I would love to advocate for, and I know the government's looking at doing this, but they really should push financial literacy, and here's the reason why. The younger generation doesn't go into a bank branch anymore. So who is going to be there to constantly remind them about investing their money? Hey, maybe you should do an RSP. It's going to be Uncle John or... (laughs) Maybe, hopefully, if the financial literacy is in their own company. But, you know, there was something to be said that when I worked at a bank early on, that community feel like, you know, I would see you come into the bank you know, 25 years ago with your paycheck every other Friday because that was your routine. There was no direct deposit. Mm -hmm. When it got deposited, you know, Francis behind the teller stand would give you that advice saying, hey, have you thought about saving for your first home? Let's set you up with some sort of savings plan. We're starting to lose that now with the virtual world when it comes to banking. Mm -hmm. You know, so to me, it's very important. I know you asked, you know, being in this position, Mm -hmm. representing the broker community in a way to make it very important for the government to understand that we are such a stellar community of professionals, a stellar group of individuals that really love helping out consumers get the best advice. Most brokers aren't transactional. They're really heart-centric and they love what they do. I think we need to start regulating it a bit more and to ensure that consumers are getting the proper advice moving forward. 
Absolutely. And that's a fantastic answer. So thank you for sharing that. You're obviously well known and well liked within the industry, but why do you think that you were selected for this role? I would hope, you know, to be said, it's my background and my passion for this industry. I think people realize that I crazily love what I do. And most people know that I don't do it for the money. Mm -hmm. I'm doing it because I absolutely, you do almost have a sense of craziness in this industry when you get to a certain (laughs) level. You chuckle, you know what I mean, right? The pain sometimes outweighs, you know, the reward on it. But those of us that are crazily passionate about this industry understand that the money and everything is a byproduct and will come. Mm -hmm. I think I was selected because people realize that I truly speak my mind but from a heart-centric point of view, and also that I'm very emotionally intelligent, that I can make those connections and understand from an empathetic point of view and not be apathetic. And I think there are too many people in this industry that are highly apathetic. Like, they choose not to care because it's a lot easier, Mm -hmm. and sometimes we have to be okay with having those courageous conversations because it's in that courageous conversation where change really happens. Absolutely. You talk about your core values of, you know, heart, integrity, transparency. So how do you apply these to your leadership and kind of your everyday, like day-to-day? You know, those are my three grounding that I look at constantly when I'm making decisions at anything. Like I've trained myself to be very comfortable and uncomfortable with my emotions to sit with it. Like I'm not godlike like anyone else. I have my moments. Sure. Right? We were talking before about <laughs> imposter syndrome. Yes. I still have my moments of imposter syndrome going into things going, why am I coming here? Right. right. It always brings us back and it grounds us when we're making decisions. Right. You know, you always putting the best interests and always going wholeheartedly into a conversation. Right. Putting the best interests of the individual behind them, having compassion, mm-hmm. I think is huge, Absolutely. especially, you know, put it in terms of dealing with lenders. It's been an 18 month hard road. Like I remember the first couple of months. I mean, everyone was high stress levels. How can you add the heart in there to make people feel good? You know, we coached our agents at the beginning of the pandemic. We told them. Don't go looking for business with your clients. They don't need that right now. What they need to know is you care. Sure. That's your only job. Reach out to your clients. Don't talk about deferrals. Don't talk about rates. All you're going to do is you're going to be calling them and saying, how are you doing today? I was thinking of you. I just want to check in. And I think that's what really made our firm successful during the pandemic is the caring nature of it. So that's the heart part. Yeah. Integrity, I mean, that is super important in any business. Integrity is your passport. It is your soul. It is who you are. It will make or break you in business. Make the right decisions. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the courageous decisions, the hardest decisions are always the right decisions. But always ground yourself in integrity and do what's right. Call it the spinach in your teeth. Have integrity. Absolutely. And transparency. Be honest. Have courageous conversations. Don't be afraid to talk about things. Create that trust. I think the three together, when we work it in our firm with our clients and with our agents, it really then ultimately creates trust. And trust is where the magic happens. Trust is where people can be vulnerable. People can be themselves. People can really open up to you. And that's where, you know, again, conversations will flow. Work gets done and... magic happens. Absolutely. Well, thanks for sharing that. As a woman in leadership in the mortgage industry, what advice do you give to young women who are looking to either pursue a career in the mortgage industry or just started their career as an agent? Go for it. Just do it. (laughs) You know, I think back when I was younger and, you know, the imposter syndrome never goes away. I don't think ever really it does. You just get better at it. Sure. You get better at recognizing it and telling it like, shh, shh, shh. Yeah. Like I got invited here for a reason. There's yeah. a reason why I'm at this table. Yeah. Like it's not a mistake. I should be here. 
Take risks. Don't be afraid to fail. You know, myself early on, there was a lot of fear of looking stupid or saying the wrong things or looking goofy or I'm going to fall down. That's where you learn and that's where you really grow. You have to go through those pain points, go for it and never think you're underqualified. You know, we talked about that too, and it goes in the imposter syndrome. I see too many times women not leaning into the table because they feel like they shouldn't be there or their experience is not enough. And I guarantee anyone listening to this call right now or listening to this podcast that wants to go for something, go for it because you're probably overqualified. Very good advice. Very good advice. Okay, so your home trust, medium Randy Binstock, who you've known for a very long time. He had a lot of positive things to say about you, and obviously he's known you for a very long time. But he said that you're obviously very passionate about helping people. Is there an alt-client story where you really felt that you or maybe one of your agents even just really help that client reach a goal or find some sort of better financial solution? Oh, man, there's like probably a thousand of them that we've gone through. I mean, one that sticks in my head, my business partner had one. It was around actually Christmas time, which broke my heart. The private was actually kicking them out of their house and foreclosing on them. They were in a motel. You guys stepped up, got it done in 10 days. Wow. They should have always been a B client. They should never have been with a private and the other broker that was dealing with it, I don't even know who it was, completely dropped the ball and didn't care. Okay. So again, it goes back to the core values. Sure. Anyone that's coming to you as a client is a privilege. Mm -hmm. Take good care of them. Sure. They're not a pain in the butt. They're not annoying. You know what? Usually most of the time where clients are over the top with their emotions is because they're going through stress. There's something stressful. Have compassion with dealing with that situation. Mm -hmm. But I think that one is probably my most favorite because that client was really put in a completely better space. Yep. We see a lot of them. We see a lot of clients coming in, their privates are coming up, and we literally shake our heads going, why were you even put here to begin with? We could have structured this. Yeah, so the time wasn't taken initially to find that solution for them. It was kind of right. just and you know what? There. And, and I don't know if it was time wasn't taken. I don't know if it's a lack of knowledge. I Fair. would strongly suggest any brokers listening to this really, truly take a deep dive into the alternate space. You're going to be doing your business a favor in doing this. It's not that cumbersome. It's not that hard to do once you understand what you're looking for and how to structure it. Sure. You know, most recently we had one where it was someone that was affected by COVID. They couldn't work. Granted, they have a large RSP portfolio, so it goes back to fall back. It was like about almost half a million dollars that was sitting there. Sure. But no income. It's below 65% loan to value. You guys just approved it at a fabulous interest rate. Okay. And you did a 12-month hold back in the payments. So it's giving them time to get on their feet where we're not going into a private space where the rate would have been triple and the fees would have been probably at least three times as well. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Well, I'm glad that we were able to help out in that situation and in the other situation as well, and I'm sure other countless times. Just the last question here that I have for you is, what is one core value or quality that you think is key to being a strong leader in this industry? Emotional intelligence. And I think it's become more and more important as we come out of COVID. You know, it's always been important, but I think especially now during COVID or what we've seen that we've gone through, I know you guys are great with mental health, which to me is also super important as well. I love that we're actually finally talking about it. It's not a new thing. It's always been there. It's just no one's chose to talk about their feelings. I know. But emotional intelligence, I think, is going to be absolutely huge moving forward is the ability to actually sit with individuals to actually understand them, Mm -hmm. have compassion and have empathy is massive. 
So first and foremost, thank you for jumping on the show with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you and your team for your continued support of Home Trust. You know, we truly appreciate it. Wishing you all the best for the rest of 2021 and all the best in 2022. So thank you very much. Thank you. This was awesome. And anyone out there, make sure that you learn about alternate mortgages. And if you don't, you're doing your business a disservice. There you go. You heard it here from Francis. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.